listening to Expand Your Horizons, the podcast for English language teachers and wanderlust indulgers. This is Lauren and Shannon, teacher training duo of TefelHorizons.com. Each week, we bring you teaching advice, travel tips, and inspiring stories from around the globe. Here's to making this big world a little smaller by connecting ESL teachers everywhere. Hello, and thanks for tuning in to Expand Your Horizons, the TEFL Horizons podcast. This week, I'm pleased to welcome Stephanie Vogel as our guest on the show. Steph has had a long and successful journey through the TEFL industry. After dropping out of med school, she felt inspired to try something totally different, so she went to Istanbul to get a CELTA certification. From there, she wound up in Vietnam, where she spent six years progressing from ESL teacher to assistant academic manager to CELTA and Delta trainer. She then moved back to the United States to further advance her career, eventually becoming the director of Teaching House, the largest provider of CELTA courses in the United States. It's wonderful to have Steph here for an interview because she has often been a mentor for me throughout my career as a CELTA trainer, and over the years, she has also become a very good friend. So join us as we talk about how she built her career in TEFL, share insights into the world of teaching and training, and probably have a little too much fun recounting hilarious teaching disasters. Let's dive in. Hello, and welcome to this week's episode of Expand Your Horizons. I am here with Stephanie Vogel. Hi, Steph. Hi, Horizoneers. And we are here in Boston. We're very excited about this interview. Um, And yeah, so Steph, thanks for being here. Let's start with who you are. So tell us a little bit about yourself. Sure. Um, Again, my name is Stephanie, and I've been working in the ESL industry for quite some time. Um, I'm a former colleague of both Shannon and Lauren, your hostesses, Mm -hmm. and and so we're not only um, colleagues, we're friends, so that's why this is probably going to be a goofy interview. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) Yeah, which brings me to, I think I should probably comment on the horizon years, we decided... Just just the other day, last night, really, last night. to um, <laughs> to coin a term for our listeners, followers, we really like horizon ears. So if you're listening, I think that makes you a horizon ear. Yeah. If you... And if you want to comment on our choice, <laughs> feel free to let us know how you feel about that title. Yeah. Just kidding. It's not my place. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So, so step. Um You've been in this industry a long time. How Mm -hmm. did you start teaching? Yeah. So um, I came at it at a sort of different route than a lot of people. So I was a late entrant, one might say, into um, teaching English because it was not my first out-of-college job. Mm -hmm. Um, So I um, am a med school dropout. Um, and after I finished (laughs) the med school that I did attend, I didn't really know what to do with my... um, with myself, actually, at that point in my life, I was kind of, I want to say, quote, quote, lost. Um, although there's no such thing as being lost, listeners. Right. Um, yep. <laughs> it's just a new path will open before you. Um, and for me, that path started because my now sister-in-law, she was my brother's girlfriend at the time, um, was from the UK, and she had done her CELTA. And she said, well, why don't you do this course? It's a four-week course. You love to travel. She said, and you can go travel, make a little money, mm-hmm. um, and then decide what you're going to do when you grow up. Right? And <laughs> didn't grow up. Yeah, it's funny. I think that's how so many of us get into this field is like as a, a gap year or kind of waiting 
a way to sort of kill time until you get a quote unquote real job. Yeah. Right. And then it becomes yeah. um, this amazing career. It's your, becomes your real job. Yeah. So you did your CELTA, you taught abroad, and where did you go first? Um, I did my CELTA actually in Istanbul, so I did my CELTA abroad. Mm-hmm. Um, and I made that choice just somewhat randomly. I was traveling um, and um, the nearest CELTA center to where I was was in Istanbul, so I went and I did my course there, and I loved it. Um, in fact, I would say I wasn't convinced when I did the CELTA course that I would like teaching, to be honest. Um, but I was convinced that I wanted to be a CELTA trainer. Oh, wow. So yeah. even from when you started your CELTA course, you knew that you wanted to be a CELTA trainer. Yes. Not because just a teacher. I felt like what they were doing was magic. Okay. Because there was such a difference between everyone who did the course with me, what they first looked like, and what they achieved in four, what we all achieved in four weeks. I couldn't believe the difference. And I was like, these are miracle workers. These trainers are... <laughs> miracle workers and so I was like I want to be able to do what they're doing not necessarily teaching to be honest <laughs> but, really interesting yeah. yeah that you looked at that and said I want that not just the teaching part yeah um but you did end up teaching yes so did I you did. stay did you stay in Turkey and teach? I did I stayed in Istanbul for a while I really loved living there um it was an amazing place to work there's a lot of English language um learners there, obviously. Um, And I worked a lot with primarily adults um, there, Mm -hmm. a lot of business English. Um, I had a chauffeur pick me up (laughs) and drive me to some of my classes. (laughs) I remember that you had some kind of swanky situation. Tell us a little bit about that. Yeah. So um, the language school where I was working at the time, I'm not even sure it's still in existence. It was an English First EF affiliate. Um, mm-hmm. I'm not sure it's still there, so I don't mm-hmm. want to misspeak. English First and EF, for anybody who doesn't know, um, they're big language schools. They're huge. So like yeah. language it, school franchises. Yeah, yeah. worldwide. Yeah. Um, and um, they had not only group classes, and I did teach a number, some of my favorite classes I ever taught actually were in the, the adults in those uh, group classes. But they also had corporate English programs, and they would have, it could be privates. So for some of my classes, um, I would go to the company and work with whatever executive needed private language, or there, there were group classes too. But there was a small group class, and my where I lived um, and where the school was was on um, what's called the European side of mm-hmm. Istanbul. But the this large company where I went to teach these cor- uh, company classes was on the east, um, in the um, Asian side of Istanbul. So um, a chauffeur would come from the company to pick me up to take me to uh, my job on another continent. (laughs) Very glamorous. Yes, it was very glamorous, my bicontinental life. (laughs) Yeah. I can't say that it's common for most people to be chauffeured to and from their business English classes. But for um, those of you who don't know also, I think it is fairly common to travel off-site to business English classes. Yes. It's very yeah. much um, consistent with my experience, too. A lot of business English classes, you actually go to the company and teach the students like in the meeting rooms yeah. and things there. Which is great, because if you see the context where they work, you see the ways in which they're using English. So you get a better idea of how you can help them. Yep. If they come to your school and you're using a course book, you don't really see what their interactions are like in English. So you have a harder time pitching lessons that are relevant and appropriate for their situation. So I actually prefer mm-hmm. business classes that are that take place on site for yeah. that reason. That's a really good yeah. point. And all the, the material that the students are using for work 
daily is right there you know so assuming it's not sensitive content they can pull up emails and things and you can like work with them on their actual business content that they need for sure which is really cool yeah um okay so how long did you teach in istanbul um to tell you the truth i don't really remember i think it might have been a year or maybe more Mm -hmm. maybe a year and a half i don't think i did two full years okay Um, yeah and from there where did you go so I took a little bit of a hiatus. I think um, I think everybody who is a new teacher and takes their CELTA, um, here's a bit of advice. <laughs> if you are not an experienced teacher and you do a CELTA and then you start teaching full time, don't try to make every lesson a CELTA quality lesson because you will burn out. Mm-hmm. And that is exactly what I did. So I was teaching 20 some odd hours a week. And I was spending another 30 hours a week lesson planning. Wow. So when you say CELTA caliber, CELTA quality lesson, you mean in terms of the energy and the detail that you're putting into yeah, your planning? the detailed planning. And I would type them out like... Because like that's full CELTA lesson plans, almost, anticipated yeah. problems, yeah, solutions. Almost, yeah. Almost wow. all of my lessons had that. Okay. And it was because I was insecure and it was the only way I knew how to do it. Mm-hmm. So um, I think if I could give a piece of advice is relax a little bit no one's watching you do it you're not being graded um and just do what you need to do to get through and maybe one a week you know plan to that level of detail i think it helped me um, but i think also it made it hard to continue after Mm -hmm. whatever that initial period a year year and a half i took a break from teaching Um, yeah i loved it but i was burnt out for sure and some people don't realize this either but like 20 hours, so what's called contact hours, basically the number of hours where you are standing in front of a class, um, that's pretty much considered Mm full-time because there's planning that goes into it. In addition to that, often admin work, a little bit of admin stuff that goes into it in addition to those 20 hours. So if you are getting a schedule that's like 25, 30 hours teaching hours, know that that's going to be a lot. Yeah, it's a lot. That's a lot. And also, since we've been talking about CELTA lesson planning, I know we've talked about this on the podcast before, but um, the CELTA lesson plans are super intense. There's like an insane amount of detail that goes into them. Yeah, they're pages long. It's not just, it's not like Like an outline. outline. (laughs) (laughs) Right, pages and pages. You have to to think about um, anticipated problems, things that might come up in the lesson and exactly how you're going to deal with them. You're drawing out a a board plan, how you're going to arrange your whiteboard or smart board Mm -hmm. or whatever you're using. Um, you're thinking about assumptions. So what do you think the students already know? What have you covered before? And how does that affect this lesson? And then the whole procedure. So step by step, what you're going to do in every point at every activity in the lesson. Um, and I think the nice thing about the CELTA course is you, you are forced to do that, which on the course is time consuming and often very stressful. But then I think like you were saying, Steph, when you've finish the course you kind of have a lot of that in your head yeah so you don't have to force yourself to sit down and write it all out necessarily yeah in fact I would expressly recommend against it yeah because of that burnout you want to enjoy right (laughs) your life right (laughs) yeah so you're not saying teach bad lessons but maybe you just make an outline based on what you've learned you know in your training experience and you don't spend hours and hours writing pages and pages of yeah a lesson plan for every class yeah, absolutely true. <laughs> so. I do have a good story about not having a plan, though, that happened my first day of teaching. Very first day of teaching. My very oh, first day of teaching. First day of teaching stories are always great. They're always the best. So um, I had the very unlucky situation where I finished my CELTA course on a Friday, 
and um, one of the, the teachers at the school where I did my CELTA quit. And so they asked me to start teaching on Monday morning. Um, and so I was only going to have two days off before I had to start teaching wow. again. And the, uh, it's, it was a fast turnaround. And it was five two-hour lessons. So first, a weekend break from CELTA graduation to first day of teaching, and yeah. you were going to teach? Ten hours in one day. Ten hours. So the longest lesson no I had ever taught up until that point was one hour long. Right, because that's typically what you do on And CELTA. I spent 24 hours planning <laughs> that one hour. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> so I went into then a day where I had to plan... Um, five two-hour long lessons and I went wow. at it like they it was the CELTA so basically I finished my CELTA on Friday and on Saturday morning I got up and started lesson planning like a like I was planning for the CELTA and I actually I don't think I slept much that weekend I can't I imagine you did nervous but I didn't get to the last lesson um, so I had four mm-hmm. very well-planned lessons and one fully unplanned lesson okay yeah and I've never had the experience of not having a plan Mm -hmm. in my head though I had this idea that I could teach vocabulary and I could teach clothes like words for different items of clothing it was an elementary level class and that because that's so easy to deal with it wouldn't take that much planning like we're all wearing clothes we can talk about clothes Mm -hmm. Um, and then there are there are certain kinds of books like vocabulary organizer books that are really meant not for teaching but for students to self-study. Um, so I grabbed a bunch of these vocabulary organizer books. I think I had two different ones. And I copied pages, the chapters on clothes, without ever looking at them and also without copying the answer key. So I had stacks of these <laughs> worksheets because I was like, worst comes to worst put them in, like make them do a worksheet because right. the tension's off you then and you can think. Right. So um, I had these vocabulary organizer things and at one point I was out of sorts. I didn't know what to do. So I handed them this worksheet, do this matching pictures to words. And I hadn't looked at it so I didn't know that it was in British English. And I don't mm-hmm. know how familiar, I don't know who's listening or where you are, but Words for clothing in American English and British English are not the same. No, there are some unfortunate differences, actually, (laughs) if you're not aware of them. (laughs) Yes, and so different in some cases that I had no idea what the Mm -hmm. correct answers were to the worksheets. So you were actually learning vocabulary at the same time as your students. Except for I wasn't learning it because I didn't have the answer key. So there was no one who knew. No one in the room knew knew. the answers (laughs) to any of the questions. So I decided to confess my lack of knowledge and just start riffing. (laughs) See, now the problem with not having a plan is riffing. It just doesn't work when you don't know what you're doing. And I didn't really (laughs) know what I was doing at that time. And I ended up in an array of horrors, (laughs) horrors and terrible situations. Um, One being, first of all, the class was all male. I don't know how that happens. That was really my only class that didn't have women in it. Um, So there were 10 Turkish men in my class, um, my first day of teaching, talking about clothes. And somehow I got on, like, distracted at the notion of underwear. And um, so I drew 
a pair of boxer briefs on <laughs> on the board. I'm not really that talented a drawer. So, <laughs> so I mean, if you could have seen it, it would be even funnier because the drawing was not good. And I was trying to say, these are boxers, boxers. And I was making them repeat after me, boxers. And then I was like, well, I don't know if Turkish men wear boxers. So this this might be super confusing. So then I drew on the board briefs, but I couldn't remember the word briefs. So we have to remember I'm very nervous at this point. Like this is not going well. And it's the first day at a new job. So not only is it teaching in front of people, but you know, I'm trying to keep a job here. Um, so I drew the briefs, but I couldn't think of what they were called. Um, but I could think of tidy whitey. Of course. Of course I could. Useful vocabulary for so, a beginner class. So I did it. I said, these are called tidy whities And I made them repeat after me, tidy whities So now I've had these men say, boxers, boxers, and tidy whities tidy whities And then, of course, in like to practice, I decided on the fly, because I didn't have a plan, to go around the room and ask them what they were wearing. <laughs> so... I go around the room to each person, creeping death one after the other. <laughs> what are you wearing? Boxers or tidy whities It was almost unanimous that everyone was wearing tidy whities but the very last guy on the far left-hand side of the room said in Turkish, yok. Yok means nothing. And so I said, you're going commando. <laughs> And I made them repeat after me, I'm going commando, I'm going commando, because I needed to take up time and I didn't know what to do. So yes, plan your lessons. Moral of the story. <laughs> okay. I think also, moral of the story, if you've ever had a bad lesson, yes. at least you didn't teach I won. Your, your brand new students a lot of possible vocabulary and ask them what kind of underwear they were wearing. Right. Yes. I yeah. often win the worst lesson stories. So... And look at you can you know rise to yeah. tuffle stardom. From so you there. managed to keep your job. <laughs> I did somehow. I did manage to keep my job. Awesome, and I'm sure those students probably never forgot that lesson. Well, actually, I have a follow up story about those okay. students. So those very same students, um, one of them stayed in touch with me after I left Istanbul, and he, you know his English improved over time. No thanks to me, um, and um, the email started to get more and more um, literate. And so, mm -hmm. you know, he was becoming more fluent. And so at one point I asked him, you know, several years later in an email, I was like, you know, I taught you on my first day, you know, and I'd never, you don't really tell students it's your first day. You want to give them the impression that they have an experienced teacher. So right. I was like, you know, and I was not a very good teacher. And he, and he was like, oh yeah, we knew. Um, and I was like, well, why didn't you complain? Or like, why did you keep coming? And they, they he said that we used to meet for tea um, before class and then talk about all the ways we thought you were going to mess up the lesson beforehand and they loved it so it was like they had played this game with me so you were like <laughs> their sitcom basically yeah, I was there um, they were paying not for English lessons but to be entertained by a giant English-speaking idiot <laughs> oh my god that's wow yeah it's good okay yeah. yes well, I guess they had a sense of humor yes. luckily you also had a, sense, have of a humor. sense of humor luckily or else I would have you know crawled in bed and never taught again after that email but no I think it's hilarious and yeah. I think one of the um one of the special gifts if you're 
tuned this way for teaching is that you do come away with a lot of amazing stories. Uh, you do. Of the people you meet and um, yeah. I mean, yep. it's, it's a way to create a, a life of stories. It's so true. And I mean, the only way to get better at teaching is just doing it over and over. And those kind of train wreck lessons sometimes are the best way to get better. Yeah. Because you learn very quickly what works and what yeah. doesn't work. I never unplanned, not planned a lesson again. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I really, what I should have done is planned, half planned five lessons and not super planned four and left one. Right. <laughs> to go. Right. Yeah. At the very least, looked over the um, answers, the questions and answers yes. to the activities you were going to give out. I had never heard of an anorak, by the way. If you don't know what it is, look it up. <laughs> nice. New vocab word for some people, maybe. Um, great. Okay. So that was Istanbul, your yes. first foray My first into foray. teaching. Yep. And then where, so you took a little hiatus. And then when did you jump back into teaching? Um, about a year later. So I took a year long break. Um, actually, during that year, I took, um, I was living in Germany and I took a German class, a beginning German class, which really reinvigorated um, my desire to teach. I actually had a good teacher. Um, it often happens that you don't because a lot of teachers in the world are untrained, um, so they don't really know what they're doing. Um, but in this case, the teacher was very good. He, um, you know, the, the, um, the methodology of the CELTA is generally considered communicative language teaching, mm -hmm. and his classes were communicative. Um, and it was inspiring to be in a situation with someone who was teaching the way I was taught to teach. Yeah, like uh, really getting to see that yeah, in action. Yeah, and to feel it work. Yeah, to feel it work uh, on you as yeah, a student. exactly. So I started to get excited again about teaching. I, I started to miss it. Mm -hmm. um, and it didn't take long, you know, maybe six months away from teaching. I was like, I definitely think I need to do that again. Um, and so when it was time to leave Berlin, um, I couldn't stay there for a long time because I wasn't working. <laughs> so no visa. <laughs> Happens. Yeah. No visa, no work. Um, the, I decided to go to Asia. Um, and at the time, a lot of people were going to um, Taiwan. That was considered like a, a good place to go to make money. Korea was also considered a great place to go to me make money. Um, but I found a job listing that um, was half teaching and then half helping to administer their teacher training department. And as I mentioned, um, I knew that I wanted to be a CELTA trainer. So that job to me seemed like an amazing half and half job. Mm -hmm. So it would be half time teaching. So I wouldn't be making myself crazy with all the lesson planning that I was addicted to doing. Right. Um, but and so I got to teach, but not overwhelm myself. And then I had this admin position that got me um, in the position to meet um, what ended up being a lot of my mentors, um, other teacher trainers. I mean, my, my CELTA trainers were amazing, so they were also mentors, but I met more mentors. Mm-hmm. Um, um, while I worked in that teacher training department. So that was like a dream position that I felt completely unqualified for. Um, but I got an interview and, um, and decided then to take the job in Vietnam. And one of the big surprises of Vietnam, people don't talk about it, is the cost of living is so low. Um, I think that's still the case. It's been, I think, five years since I left there. Yeah, like five, it was almost exactly five years. Yeah. Okay, yeah. Um, um, but that, that teachers actually do pretty well, um, pretty well there. And especially if you're in a more um, advanced, you know, a, a position that has 
either academic management or some sort of administration that often pays a little bit better than teaching itself. So um, I was pleasantly surprised with my random decision to be in Vietnam. I had never thought of going there or anything. It was the job I wanted and not the place I wanted to go. Mm -hmm. And luckily, I fell in love with the job and the place. Which is amazing. Yeah. So what was your daily life like there? Um, so the schedule that I was on when I first arrived um, was I taught like three evenings a week for a couple of hours. So mm -hmm. maybe six, I want to say six, maybe eight, six to eight hours a week in the evenings. Okay. So um, were you teaching adult students? I like was teaching adult after students. After work yeah. for them? Okay. Yeah. At first. And then, and during the mornings then I had admin experience. Um, with um, the teacher training department. So I would do interviews for their CELTA candidates. Mm -hmm. Okay. Okay. So you were doing CELTA interviews actually. Yes. Okay. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. There was an, a whole different enrollment team, but my only piece was really like doing the interviews and scan, um, scanning out the candidates um, mm -hmm. for the course. Um, so that was great. And then, um, you know, then because of the disposable income that I had, then I did a lot of traveling um, and other things. But one of the exciting things from a professional development standpoint is when you're, I was working at a very large school. Um, and there, there are advantages and disadvantages to working in very large schools. But one of the advantages is often there's strong um, teacher development. Mm -hmm. So there are a lot of teachers yep. with a lot of experience and there's a chain, there's like a pathway of um, career. So it wasn't long before I was actually um, promoted into academic management. So um, I became a, an academic manager. And then my schedule changed dramatically. Um, because the school was actually um, primarily young learners, um, my teaching then became young learner because it was mm -hmm. more of what students needed or our teachers needed help with. So I taught all day Saturday and all day Sunday. Oh, wow. Um, young learners, very young learners, actually, from three to six most of the time. Um, so I taught two days a week, and then I had or two full days, and then I had um, actual academic management responsibilities, I want to say one or two days a week uh, in addition to that. So, okay. Um, yeah. Okay, so you were definitely not on a normal Monday through Friday nine to five schedule. No, and point. I don't think I don't think many people are. Yeah, in the it industry is, yeah. anywhere. Very common Most, not yeah. to be. Yeah. 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 Okay. Wow. Experience. And then from there, so you did end up achieving your dream of becoming a Celta trainer. <laughs> yes. How did that happen? Um, well, in order to become a, a a Celta trainer, there are a few requirements, and one of them is to. Um, well, Cambridge prefers that you have a Delta, the mm -hmm. diploma course. I don't know if you've talked about the Delta We much. haven't talked yeah. about the Delta much, honestly. Um, so there is a, a, after the CELTA, there's an, another qualification called the Delta. It's offered in a wide variety of formats. I'm sure you'll do a blog post or something about it yep. with more detail coming up. Um, but um, I went that route. There is another route. Um, a lot of Americans, it's hard to access Delta courses in the U.S., so um Masters in TESOL or teaching masters, as long as there's a practicum, are often considered in lieu of the Delta, but not always. Um, so if you're interested and you have a master's, it's possible to become a CELTA trainer, but not um, get, you can't you can't guarantee acceptance with that. Yeah, less it's less preferred less than preferred, Delta. Yeah. So my first step was really doing my Delta qualification, and there happened to be one at my school. Um, okay. Which again was one of the reasons I chose it. With their um, their 
teacher training department. So I did, the version that I did was an eight-week um, immersion Delta. Yeah, like an intensive yeah. Delta. Okay. So um, I did an eight-week Delta course. And um, very shortly after I finished my Delta course, I want to say maybe maybe six months later, um, I asked if I could be trained trained up as a CELTA trainer, and, um, and I was approved by Cambridge to do that. So, um, yeah, so I finished my Delta, and then I went right into the, the training up process, and I became then a full-time CELTA trainer. I no longer worked in academic management, mm-hmm. um, and I was training ba- basically um, – one four-week course and then take a one-week break and then one four-week course, one-week break, one four-week course, one-week break um, on a a loop for a couple of years. I did that. Okay. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And if you're not familiar with a Delta and you're listening, it's it's kind of like the next level of CELTA. So Mm -hmm. CELTA is not a bachelor's degree. Um, As you probably know, it's just this very specific teacher training certification program. Um, But if we kind of think of CELTA like the bachelor level, kind of Mm -hmm. in our microcosm of TEFL, the Delta then is kind of like the master's level. And again, it's not a master's. It's this other very specific training, teacher training certification program, but it's sort of viewed as like a master's level. Yeah. And many master's programs, particularly in the UK, um, offer master's level credit for a Delta. Yeah. It's a practicum. So um, it's mostly teaching and teaching development. So it's not um, as pedagogical as say a regular master's Mm -hmm. would be, but it does fill in the actual teaching practice piece, which a lot of programs actually miss out on. I know. <laughs> um, yeah. So it is a way to become a better teacher. Yep, absolutely. It's extremely hands-on, like CELTA. You mm-hmm. teach actual lessons, you plan lessons in ridiculous amounts of depth, and then your Delta trainers observe your lessons, give you feedback. Yeah. So like CELTA on steroids, if you can imagine. Yes, exactly. Yeah. It's fun. It is actually fun. You do learn a lot. Don't look at the grading criteria before you teach your first lesson. No, it's terrifying. Just, no, just teach it. Just teach it. Just go for it. You don't want to know how they're assessing you. Yeah. Um, okay, so you were a CELTA trainer for a couple of years. Yes. Um, and you have, you've been a CELTA trainer since then, yeah. even transitioning back to the States. Yeah, actually, I trained as a Delta trainer after that. So I'm also a Delta trainer, um, mm-hmm. which really, once I did my Delta... The same sort of thing happened to me. It's happened when I did my Celta. I want to do that kind of magic. Um, right. <laughs> Delta magic. I want to do Delta magic. So, um, yes, and I stayed long enough to um, achieve um, the ability to become a Delta tutor. And um, I, I was Delta tutoring in Vietnam. I think I did a couple courses there um, before I transitioned back to the U.S. Okay. So if somebody is thinking about moving abroad to teach Vietnam or elsewhere, any advice you would give them from a teaching perspective, training perspective, traveling perspective? Wow. Um, I know, big question. It's a big question. I think um, in terms of advice, I would just say, do it. Great advice. Yeah, don't don't not do it. Like whatever it is that you, you're having fears about or second guessing about, um, it's better to do it. Um, you can figure it all out when you're there. Yeah. Um, and there are systems in place to help you too. Um, yep. it's a, it's a, the best thing about doing something like that is you figure out how welcoming the world actually is and That's really true. it's possible. It's all possible. Yeah. There are always going to be a million excuses not to do it, you know, not to buy the plane ticket, to wait a little longer. Mm-hmm. But I think taking that first step is just huge. And I think once you take that first step, 
it's surprising how fast everything else just falls into place. Yep, absolutely. Yep. So is there anything you wish you'd known before you started teaching, aside from the answers to that <laughs> that clothing exercise? <laughs> I wish I would have known what an anorak no, was. Not to ask your students about their And anorak. how not to call a vest a wife beater, oh, which right. I also did, by the way. Um. <laughs> if you are not from the United States and you're listening, we have this sort of terrible <laughs> slang term for the white undershirt yeah. that men often wear. Um, yes. They're very commonly called wife beaters in the United States. And we say it without even thinking. It doesn't sound bad it, until we say, say it to it. somebody who doesn't speak American English. Um, and it just sounds yeah, awful. It does. And it's horrifying when it flies out of your mouth in front of a room of people who don't speak American English. Right. You're like, did I just say that? And how do I make it go away? You can't undo it. <laughs> you can't undo. <laughs> Too late. And then you had to mm. answer the question, why do we call it a wife beater? Why do you call Think it a wife beater? cultural implications of that. Not good. No. Yeah. So I would have loved to know that. Um, Yeah. I think maybe the really, the real answer involving the wife beater (laughs) (laughs) is that planning lessons is really so important. Like Mm -hmm. I really thought that with my four week course and my chutzpah, I could teach a two hour lesson with nothing. And, um, that was very arrogant and incorrect. Um, okay. So I, w- I wish I would have been a little smarter on the front end about that, like not trying something impossible. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think it's great to be prepared. And that was a very strong lesson learned. I will not forget that feeling, um, you know, flop sweat <laughs> in front of a yeah. classroom. Like what is happening here? I was completely out of control. So I wish I would have been... I knew it. I just didn't act on my knowledge of that, that I needed to be well planned. Mm -hmm. And it did never happen again. Um, And um, so preparation for lessons. Um, I wish I would have let myself enjoy my first round of teaching more. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah. I had fun. I did enjoy it. But I was so concerned, particularly after that lesson, about doing a good job Mm -hmm. that I stopped paying a lot of attention to how much enjoyment I was having while doing it. Um, Mm -hmm. I could reflect on it after the fact, like looking back, I had such a great time, but at the moment I wasn't in it that way. I was very concerned about myself and the teaching and not really taking advantage of all the amazing experiences I was having with these incredible people, Mm -hmm. um, in my classroom. Um, so I wish I would have let myself enjoy it a little bit more. I can relate to that feeling. I think I've done that Mm -hmm. as well. I think I still occasionally like err on the side of doing that, of being sort of so wrapped up in how I want my plan to go and making sure the students or even my trainees as a Salsa trainer are getting the information that they need, you know, and the lesson is flowing smoothly and everyone's doing what I you know want them to be doing and the, the, the students are enjoying it. And it's sort of like, sometimes I'm in danger of taking myself out of that experience of me enjoying it. Right. Just sort of basking in that, look at my students and they're learning and I'm here and I'm doing this and it's fun and they're funny. And yeah. Yeah. It's nice to remind yourself to be present in those moments. Yeah, definitely. So I wish, yeah, I would say I would give myself the advice to relax a little bit, enjoy it more. That's great. I Mm -hmm. would give myself the same advice. Mm -hmm. My brand new teacher self years ago. Definitely. 
So you've worked with a lot of teachers, a lot of trainees, CELTA candidates, Delta candidates. Um, what do you think makes a teacher successful? Like a CELTA candidate on a course, but even a teacher in the classroom, aside from planning, which we've talked yeah, about. Yeah, planning. Definitely plan <laughs> your life. on the planning. <laughs> important, though. Yeah, it's very important. Um, and the I students say, can tell when um, you haven't planned. I would say a certain... I've, I've spoken about this at conferences before. I think authenticity um, mm. is really important. Being yourself, um, acknowledging that you don't know everything, Um when questions are asked that you don't know, letting them see you. Um, you know, if you're having a bad day, it's not theater. You know, teaching mm-hmm. isn't theater. You don't need to put on your teacher costume and your teacher personality and be something you're not with the students. And I um, I feel like really good teachers um, are very present and authentic with their students. Okay. Um, they're the teachers I love to watch that, you know, they're not, it isn't like, some people you can just see there, there's a flip switching in their brain and all of a sudden they're this other person. <laughs> Interesting, yeah. <laughs> and, I, and that, I mean, it's not necessarily bad, but I, do, but I think students are aware of that too. They can tell when you're not, when you're doing that, when you're, okay, mm-hmm. now here's my teacher person, not my normal mm-hmm. person. And it, there's something that just reads off about it. And I think it's easier to learn from someone who is being their true self Okay. Um, yeah. In terms of, you know, effective filtering and making them feel comfortable with you. Yeah. Being a human first and yeah. a teacher mm-hmm. second. That makes a lot of sense. Well, 1.1. 1. 1. Right. <laughs> Not second. Not second. <laughs> being a human first and a teacher additionally, yeah. maybe, or yeah. at the same time. Yeah. I do believe you can make teachers, though. I think... Um, you know, not everyone's a born teacher. So there are some people who legitimately never feel that comfortable being authentic in front of a classroom. And I think you can be a very good teacher without. Yeah, that. I would say so as well. So I don't want to discourage anyone who right. can't help it. And of course, there are levels, you know, professional boundaries. You're not going to come in and say, oh, well, I had an awful day, so I don't think we're going to do anything today. Or, you yeah, know, no, yeah, that's, that's ask not, the I'm not students about to, that. like, give you a therapy session or talk about your problems the whole time. But yeah. Although you can make that a lesson. You can <laughs> give them functional language for dealing with, you know, giving advice or whatever. And then sure. you can say, listen, I actually had a horrible day today. <laughs> and that's then true. Give me advice using the English I taught you about it. Use modal verbs. You should. You shouldn't. You could. You can make yeah. your students your therapists, and it's free. They'll pay you for it. <laughs> Just okay. kidding. Just don't kidding. Actually do yeah, that. no, don't do that. <laughs> um, but yeah, bringing that that sort of human connection yeah. into the classroom. I think it's important. I think so too. I think that's what I notice about those sort of really special teachers are the teachers who this sounds really obvious, but are paying attention to their students and yes. not just what their students are doing, but how the students are feeling, how the students are reacting. Mm-hmm. I think that matters a lot. Yeah, that aware, being aware of what's right. going on in your classroom is right. so important. Who's yeah. confused, who's bored, who's getting yeah. it, who, yeah, all of that. To me, that's sort of the difference between a good lesson and a great lesson. Mm-hmm. Like I've given above standard marks on a good lesson where the teacher is, you know, going through all the stuff they're supposed to be going through and the techniques are good and the Mm -hmm. students are definitely learning and engaged. That's a good lesson. But a great lesson is one where the teacher is doing all those things and it is also obviously super aware of the students and who's doing well and who needs support and reaching out to them and in 
interesting and again authentic ways to help them move forward I think that's the to me that is the difference between a good and a great lesson I would agree with that Mm. absolutely so just to circle back, so you're in Vietnam, and I know you stayed in Vietnam for a number of years, mm-hmm. right? Yes. What would you say kept you there? I mean, I know it sounds like you were enjoying your job, you were achieving some professional goals, yes. cost of living was low. Was there anything besides that about Vietnam itself or the situation there that yes, made you Yes, for stay? sure. I mean, um, it's a wonderful place. Um, there's something magical about it. Um, and I think maybe more so for me because I knew nothing going there. I had no preconceived mm-hmm. notions about what was going to happen. It had, was not on my radar um, in any real solid way. Um, I only had seen movies, and they were not positive in, for about anybody, you know, wartime <laughs> films. <laughs> yeah. Um, so everything was a, was a surprise, and most of the surprises were fabulous. Um, the people are wonderful there. Um, both the teachers, the expat teachers I met are some of the best friends of my life. Um, and the Vietnamese people I met and worked with, my colleagues were incredible. Um, so, I mean, people to me make a place, but Vietnam mm-hmm. is also beautiful. I mean, it's narrow and long, so it covers a lot of territory in terms of, you know, different climates and um uh, areas and there's mountains and beaches and a little bit of everything um, in a very like relatively small country when you come from a giant one like the U.S. Yeah. Um, so yeah, just beautiful little things to discover. I mean, I still feel like I haven't seen all the things I I could see, and I think I was there six years. So, um, yeah, I think it, it was a beautiful surprise. So that's part of what kept me there for sure. Mm-hmm. And I kept enjoying the different teaching. I kept learning and growing as a teacher and as a trainer. Um, you know, over time. And I think um, in many ways I could have stayed there um, yeah. even longer. But um, I mean, at some point you start to ask yourself, am I ever coming home? Right. It starts to feel far away. Yeah. At least it did for me yeah. living in Budapest. Yeah. yeah. And we talked at the beginning of the interview, we were saying how for so many people, like both of us, we said, um, you know, you jump into teaching abroad as something you're just going to do for a bit and then you're going to start your real career, your your real real life or whatever, your real job. Um, And then as it does for so many people, as it did for us, it turned into a career. So we see, I think, in the way you described your experience in Vietnam, we can see how, you know, going from teacher to Celta trainer to Delta trainer, you were developing in your career as well. Mm -hmm. How did you then transition back into the U.S.? Yeah, so... Um, wow, it could be a very long story. <laughs> it probably could, couldn't it? So, um, like I said, I knew all along that I was, um, I was really more of a trainer than a teacher. I don't really know what that is about me, but I, I sort of, I knew it right from the start. Mm-hmm. Um, I love teaching, so I don't, uh, I don't want to be misinterpreted there. Um, but I really, really loved training. Yeah. There's something meta about it. There like, is, the, an, that I actually really like too. Yeah. yeah. And it's, you can use your language differently when you're working with people who are already obviously proficient English speakers because they're training to be right. teachers as opposed to students who are learning English. It's mm-hmm. a little shift in, in the material and the way you're able to engage and meant to engage with, with people, I think. Yeah. There's a lot, to me, there's more levels. Like there's the, yeah. because the, you're interacting with students too. Right. Um, and you're able to still have an impact in that way. Um, so, yeah, so I knew I wanted to be a trainer. And when I was thinking about returning to the U.S., um, 
mostly because of my age, I think. I'm, 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 I'm like rewriting history here by making it up on the fly. But, you know, I'm not, I'm not in my 20s anymore. And, mm-hmm. um, and I wasn't in my 20s when I started, actually. And the idea that, um, you know, my family is getting older and I'm, and I'm away and I have nieces and nephews and my parents and my aunts and uncles, like everybody started to feel more remote and I wanted to yeah. be more, you know, I was reaching that point where I wanted to be more engaged with my family. So I kept coming up with ways of getting back here. And one of the ways is I started to freelance as a trainer. So I did have a permanent contract with the school that trained me. The school's called ILA, great school. Um, and um, they trained me as a trainer. And once I met my my contract after completing a couple of deltas there, um, I asked to become a freelance trainer to only, you know, I was still living in Vietnam, but I was not beholden to that school anymore um, for courses so that I could do other courses elsewhere. And once you're a CELTA trainer, that's an option. Um, yeah. Um, and so one of the the CELTA providers in the U.S., the largest provider in the U.S., is a school called Teaching House. And um, Teaching House um, had a, a location in Boston, has a location. Mm-hmm. I was there yesterday. It's still there. Yeah. It's still there. <laughs> still there. And um, my brother lives, my brother and my sister-in-law, who gave me the gift of my career, I always say. Um, <laughs> she, uh, they, they both live in the Boston area. So when uh, freelancing opportunities came up in, um, in the U.S. and Boston, I took every chance I could. Um, and so I was coming to Boston for the summers um, and once to Phoenix. And I have a family in Arizona, too, so I got to visit with family. Mm-hmm. So it's kind of fun to get paid um, to travel for four weeks, um, yeah. have the weekends off to hang out with your family and friends. Um, so I was coming back to the U.S. and then, but still living in Vietnam and, you know, um, spreading my work out. And then um, a position opened up at Teaching House to be their director of enrollment. And um, I applied and was given the job. So I came back permanently in an administrative capacity. Yeah. Um, so I wasn't training a lot. I did some, um, you know, a few courses a year, but nothing like what I had been doing before, which was basically every month training a course. So um, it was an interesting transition professionally to do that. Um, so a lot more spreadsheets. Um, yeah. <laughs> I became involved in spreadsheeting. Um, yeah, so I came back here. <laughs> Um, to Boston to run um, the well do enrollments for Teaching House and um, after a couple years I was promoted to the director position so then I ran the Teaching House schools until very recently until um, the end of May yeah mm-hmm. yep um, until you fell in love and moved away it moved away <laughs> it happens it does happen it's a good reason yeah great um, so I think that is something interesting that we don't often talk about in our field. Would you say it's true that there's kind of, I think the interesting thing about this industry is once you get to a certain point, it does start to take you out of the classroom Yeah. more and more. I think for a lot of people, they like that, the mm-hmm. spreadsheeting, as yeah. you say. Um, but for some people, I don't know, did you start to miss training after yes. a while of yeah. being in a more administrative yeah. management role rather than in the classroom? Yeah, I think, I mean, I actually... I'm okay with administration. I, I don't dislike it. I, yeah, you're um, good at it. I'm all right. <laughs> I'm all right at it. Um, but I did, at first I didn't miss it because I think, I mean, maybe it's just my personality. I get kind of burnt out of things. Like um, I had been training so much, I stopped enjoying it as much. It was just sort of more of the same, more of the same. 
Um, So I was looking for something different. And then, you know, the administration was a welcome reprieve and I was still involved um, with trainees and I was around students, you know, all the bits of it that I really loved. But like anything, I was started to burn out from the administration too. So like after that and, and now, and then I started to pine after um, training jobs. So, so like sometimes the, some of the trainers who worked for me, Shannon and Lauren were one and some, you know, I, they would complain about what was going on in their jobs. And I'd be like, Oh my God, I want your job so bad. Like (laughs) your job's so much better than mine. (laughs) But I think the grass is always greener. Right. Um, so I, I say it's possible. I mean, I, there's burnout in everything. Um, but if you're interested in administration, I mean, it, there are rewards that are less obvious. Like there's a lot of reward in teaching and training. You get to see people mm-hmm. develop and learn. The rewards are different in administration. You have to figure out how you're impacting without being directly involved. There, so yeah. I don't meet the students. Um, and I used to have to remind myself after a long day and of spreadsheeting and sore butt um, that, um, you know, during the year, 3,000 students received free English language classes because of teaching house training. And um, I, I could feel very good about my work if I thought of it that way. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah so exactly. There was a value at the end, and I had something to do with it, even though I didn't get to see it firsthand. Right. And I think it's nice to know, too, a lot of people think of teaching abroad is kind of that's it like you go abroad and you teach and then you have to find something else to do because it's there isn't like a career trajectory Mm -hmm. but there is in this field there really is and if it's something you're interested in as a career not just as like a year off or a year abroad you can do that you can absolutely get more training you know be I would say vocal about the fact that this is a career for you and you want more training and opportunities will open Mm -hmm. you know do a delta think about an MA see um, senior teachers as kind of mentors and you know keep developing and you can end up as a director of studies or a CELTA trainer or Mm -hmm. school director yeah there's many things many things you can do and not necessarily even in the the field I mean there are a lot of transferable skills I mean once you have capacity to teach or or train um, you could transfer that teaching and training to any field really like as long as you know the basic vocabulary or um, what a business is about those skills that you learned as a, a teacher are invaluable in terms of cor- corporate coaching or oh definitely God only knows yeah um, what what can happen you know a lot of our friends are involved in writing materials and curriculum design yeah that's a um, great path freelance as well. writing um, mm-hmm. there's just a lot of different things out there um, and a lot of the skills you get teaching are transferable to those other interesting and fun things to explore absolutely. Mm-hmm. So no, we're kind of wrapping up here. Um, so last fun question I always like to ask, what's your favorite travel destination? Even if it's a place that you've never actually lived, but a uh, place you've visited. So hard. I mean, so depending hard on the day. I know. <laughs> it's not really a fair question to even ask, but okay. I love hearing about these I, places. I think, um, oh, wow. I, I'm going to give two answers. Okay. Oh, God, maybe fair. three. <laughs> That's the problem with people in our field. Like, where don't you like to travel? Yeah, where, that's an That'd easier, be an easier question. Yeah, because literally my answer would be nowhere. Yeah. <laughs> Done. So um, in Vietnam, there's a town. Um, it's a UNESCO World Heritage Site. Um, and it's called Hoi An. It's a fishing village. Um, and it managed to stay pretty intact after all of the strife of 
uh, war and um, invasion and whatnot. Um, so it has a very long history and it's just a beautiful, their beaches, um, which isn't really my thing, but they're beautiful to look at. Um, I, mm-hmm. I get sunburned very easily. Um, <laughs> um, I, I used to just love going there to relax and, and walk on the water side. Um, there's no, they don't allow a lot of traffic in many of the streets. So they're stone streets and beautiful food and, um, just a lovely calm there, um, that I experienced. I mean, a lot of tourists go there. So I, I'm, um, I mean, if you're not into like a place where there's a lot of tourists around, you probably wouldn't like it, but I sat, I find something very beautiful about it. Um, it's famous really for its tailoring. So if you want to have clothing made, it's very affordable to have clothing made there. Great. Um, I am not a small person. I'm, and so in Vietnam, it was very hard for me to get clothes. Um, so, um, my six foot self would go to Hoi An periodically and refresh my wardrobe with you nice. know, my, my designed clothing, self-designed clothing. Um, yeah, so I really liked it there. Um, not for everyone, I don't think there's not a lot going on. You know, there's no nightlife or anything like that. Mm-hmm. Um, so I really loved that. Um, in Turkey, I had the opportunity to travel in Eastern Turkey. And I love Istanbul. I think it's one of the world's greatest cities underranked on travel lists for sure um although it's maybe a lot of people go there now yeah it, it, but at the time not a lot of pe- i didn't know a lot of people who had been there mm-hmm. uh, when i moved there but you know, it seems more and more people are going which is good because it's a great place but really what i loved about uh, traveling in turkey is is going east a little bit to places that aren't maybe so so well traveled and the food is wonderful and there's such an you know it's turkey's very large and there's like a yeah. lot of um, again, different landscapes, um, to explore. So I really enjoyed going there. There was a town called, I want to, I'm going to pronounce it wrong. So all my Turkish friends can correct me. I think it's called Gaziantep. Okay. Pretty sure that's the name of it. I know I've seen that written. Yeah. But I don't know much about it other than I know I've seen it before. It was like probably captions for photos, beautiful photos. Yeah. It's a very small town and they just had this amazing, mosaic museum okay and i love museums but i'm not really a mosaic person it's not like something i follow but i was very moved by this mosaic museum and um god i hope it's still there because i yeah um anyway (laughs) it was a beautiful museum so if you ever have a chance you ever around gaziantep yeah you know where everybody's going go check it out cool yeah so i really i mean that's for some reason that museum in particular is sticking in my head but i loved everywhere i went um in Turkey. Um, yeah. And right. I love going to Detroit, which is my hometown. Shout out to Shout Detroit. Out to Detroit. <laughs> I knew it was going to happen. That's cool. It always happens. All Detroiters are like this, by the way. <laughs> All the ones I've met definitely are. I'm from Michigan, so <laughs> I know a lot of them. Um, west side over here, though. Yes. <laughs> we got an yeah. east side, west side thing happening at this table. We do. We do. <laughs> Uh, well, Steph, thank you so much for being our guest. It was so lovely to talk yeah, to you, as always. Absolutely, my pleasure. And if you need me to come back and tell more horrible stories about teaching, the ways I messed up, I'm like super happy to do that. <laughs> that will be another fun episode, <laughs> so we will have to plan that for sure. Teaching disasters with Stephanie. <laughs> yeah, it could be like an offshoot of the podcast. All right. Well, that is all for this week, so we will talk to you all next week. Yes, thank you so much, everyone.
Thanks for listening. Your support means so much to us. Feel free to leave a comment below if you enjoyed this and let us know what you want to hear about in upcoming episodes. If you know other teachers and travelers, we'd love for you to share this podcast with them too. And tune in this coming Tuesday for our next episode. Until then, you can find us at teflhorizons.com. Let's keep making this big world smaller by expanding horizons.